Hannah Dunleavy's Outside the Box. Hello and welcome to July's Outside the Box. We've got a lot to cram in today, as ever. I think we're still catching up on some stuff that we hadn't quite got round to watching last month. Plus there's some stuff that's new. Plus there's some stuff that's coming up. I'm going to stop waffling. Mick is here. Oi, oi. Jen is here. Yo. Both of them said vaguely acceptable things. So great. Oh, I need to up my game again. <laughs> I feel like my standard slip. Let's start with the mass of Matt Berry that has been on our TV yes. in the last couple of months. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Has anyone yes. seen what we do in the shadows? No. <laughs> I started watching a bit of it and I was like, oh no, I want to give this my full attention and I haven't gone back to it yet. So I'm interested to know what you think about it. Okay, so this is based on the film, What We Do in the Shadows, which is by, and forgive me if I'm not saying this right because I haven't written this name down and it's not in front of me, Taiki Watiki, who is a New Zealand film director who made Hunt for the Water People, What We Do in the Shadows, and perhaps most famously revitalised the Thor series with Thor Ragnarok, which everybody should watch because it's fucking hilarious. So he has worked on developing this into a television series. The principle of What We Do in the Shadows is that a documentary crew are following a bunch of vampires who live in Auckland or Wellington, I think it is, originally. In this, the action has moved to Staten Island. It's kind of odd because there are three different things competing here. It's got very much a New Zealand sense of humour. It's written by a New Zealander. Jermaine Clement appears in this briefly. He, he was, was in, in what film, He was yeah. in the film. So it's, it's got that very kind of flight of the concourse sort of humour. Its main cast is almost entirely British. Matt Berry... Kay Van Novak and Natasha Dimitriou and yet the setting and all of the supporting cast are American so it does have an odd feel to it which kind of works for this so yes they are vampires who are all living in a house together with a documentary crew following them round and one of the more successful I can think of things translating from film to a television series it's really, really great. I mean, we don't have to talk about how great Matt Berry is. He can deliver the line, look at that chaise lounge. I could ejaculate straight through that in a way that no other people could. K-Van Novak is great. Of the three of them, I was actually saying Natasha Dimitriou is the one to watch. And that's saying something, given Matt Berry is hilarious. And K-Van Novak, you can't take your eyes off him for other reasons. But she is excellent. It's got the most incredible selection of cameos including the What We Do in the Shadows, the film guys are in it. Anyone basically who's ever been in a vampire film turns up in this. Tilda Swinton, Wesley Snipes. Amazing. Uh, Danny Trejo. He was Blade. Yeah, I know. Oh, right. I was, I was just like, like, wow. It's got a character called Colin Robinson, who is what's called an energy vampire, who is very, very boring and is he sucks the life out of people that way and is only ever referred to as Colin Robinson, which I find <laughs> completely <laughs> wonderful. And also Doug Jones, who, a bit like Andy Serkis... All his best roles, you wouldn't know it was him because he's hidden behind something. Doug Jones is the fawn in Pan's Labyrinth. He is the creature in The Shape of Water. He is Abe Sapien in the Hellboy films. So obviously you wouldn't recognise him. He plays a really, really elderly vampire in this. And it is brilliant. Yeah, I'm a big fan of What We Do in the Shadows. I think everybody should watch it. Mm going to put it on my hit list am i going to put it on my hit list yes. yes you are 10 episodes you will find it on the bbc iplayer 
Matt Berry, Mark Two. It's the year of the rabbit. Has anyone watched any of those? Susie Walks in it. Though, it has it? got Susie Walks in it, and also Freddie Fox. And they are a trio with Matt Berry, Victorian crime fighters wandering around grotty London, solving weird crimes. It it's sounds a... like the Phantom Raspberry Blower of old London. <laughs> they can yeah. bob in it. No, they're not. Yeah, again, it's very funny. I don't think it's as funny as what we do in the shadows, but a lot of it does hang on Matt Berry and his ability to deliver lines. Like, fuck off into the face of a child, which I'm not sure many other people would get to do. Susie Wox is great in it. That's Susie Bacoma. We should probably say that in full. Freddie Fox gets to play the straight man, but he also gets some funny bits in it. But in the middle of it, there is the most bizarrely funny performance ever in which David Dawson, who is actually a drama actor, not a comedy actor by any stretch of the imagination. You've probably seen him in. He's in Luther. He's in Peaky Blinders. He looks like Vincent Carthesa. Do you know who I mean? No. no. Okay. He plays the elephant man in this as a really, really camp theatrical dame, I suppose. And it is really, really funny. So top marks for that too. You will find that on all four. Lovely, lovely Matt Berry stuff all around Mm. by the sound of it. Yeah. Fuck off. I'm not a child, Hannah. I need to practice. <laughs> so should we talk about some non-Matt Berry stuff? Is there any non-Matt Berry stuff? Let's talk quickly about something that is coming up. I, there's not actually a date on it yet. I've been having a route around and I can't find a specific date on it, but I have watched it on the preview service and it, I believe, is coming up on BBC Two at some point in July, which is a new Louis Theroux documentary called Surviving America's Most Hated Family, which is the third part in the Westboro Baptist Church, I suppose, trilogy, we would say now that he has made. Oh, I thought he'd gone to live with the Trumps. No. I love Louis Theroux, but this doesn't work for me. I mean, it definitely works on the theory of diminishing returns, not least because, you know, when uh, Boris Johnson was saying that stuff about, well, but if we don't tell Europe, that's what we're doing. And you're like, you do, you realise Europe can hear you talking. (laughs) That's kind of happened here because he made a documentary in 2006 about them. He made a documentary in 2011 about them. They know what he's said. They don't trust him as much as they once did. They're not stupid. So they aren't as open. The second point is the most interesting strand in this, which is Megan, which is one of the daughters who left. Her story could do it. That would hold up a documentary on its own. She joined Twitter in 2009, and in the only example of Twitter de-radicalising someone... (laughs) Almost immediately left when she saw what the rest of the world was. And now she's given a couple of TED Talks. She's writing a biography. There's a film being made about her, which I kind of assume why it's limited within what he could actually say about her. But that is categorically the most interesting story because she's out now preaching, not preaching, but you know what I mean, a policy that anger doesn't help, that we all need to talk to each other, that people shouting at her family aren't going to change her family, that kindness was what changed her and that kindness is the way forward. And it's a shame there's not more of her. But nonetheless, you might be interested in surviving America's most hated family. Just in case people haven't seen documentary one or two, what is it about them that is most hateful? Westboro Baptist Church, our family, the father, Grandpa Phelps, he was called, was the preacher, believes that, you know, everything is a punishment from God and therefore pickets funerals of dead yes. American soldiers holding signs saying, God hates fags. Excuse my language. 
and God wanted you to die and you died because gay people are allowed to live and things like that. They're not nice. That said, they're all from the same family. So I would imagine there's a fair degree of brainwashing has gone on in that family. Mm-hmm. Megan's story shows that there is hope, but that's not really the storyline that Louis Theroux's gone with this time. So... Hannah, what are you doing on Sunday the 21st of July? I am going to be in the fair city of Canterbury. Canterbury? In, I know, all the way in Kent. We will be holding an in-conversation event at the Marlowe Theatre as part of Canterbury Comedy Festival and we have some great guests. Too right we do. We've got Kemar Bob and we've got the Scummy Mummies. If you want to find out more, go to our website, www.standardissuepodcast.com. And we can promise you that you may well laugh your tits off. Shall we go over to Netflix? Netflix. Two things to talk about Netflix. One I'm going to cover quite briefly, which is The Last Zars, which is a docudrama, is what they call it, which is some historians telling facts and then some not great actors playing out those facts on screen. Didn't really do it for me, I have to say. It's the story of the Romanoffs, or the fall of the Romanoffs, and it kind of focuses on... Anastasia and whether or not she escaped, which is, quite frankly, the least interesting thing about the Romanoffs. So I'm going to leave it there. And we're going to talk instead about Stranger Things. Which is the only thing I have actually watched. Usually I've watched pretty much everything that Hannah's watched, but I've just moved house and have no internet, but yet managed to find enough 4G to watch all of Stranger Things while nursing an absolutely mortal hangover. So this came out on Independence Day. You tell me. What do you think, Mick? I think I'm going to start with the positives, which it is still very easy to watch. It's very colourful. It's very silly. The characters, we know and love them to an extent now. But I had an overriding sense of disappointment. There's so much repetition because there's so much of Stranger Things that doesn't make sense anymore. Like the... Why are the Russians opening the gate? No one knows. Well, the reason is they need someone to come from the upside down so that yeah. 11 can be amazing and the team have to, again, split off into little different parties like they've done every yeah. other season and, and save the day. And there were a couple of, I found, disappointing character developments to Hopper, who was by far my favourite character. Just, I mean, I can understand why he's pissed off. He's constantly having to fight weird flesh goopy monster things but also the just the constant shipping of him and Winona Ryder's character and also my biggest bugbear with season three is as Mike says we're not kids anymore and they're not and while their friendships were brilliant to watch in the first two seasons that nostalgia particularly because it's set in the 1980s when I was a kid Watching them and their friendships and the dynamics is so good. But watching them kiss and have relationships, Mm. I just found incredibly icky. Excruciating is the word I've written in my uh, notebook. Yeah, it's just I don't need to see teenagers kissing and talking about their feet. And also the conversations they have are not the conversations teenagers have about relationships. You know, oh, women are a different species. I mean, come on now. The bit where they start fighting at each other can relate to that. Yeah. I'm going to say I agree with all of that. I think the B plot 
which had Steve, Steve the Hare Harrington, who's now undoubtedly the best character in this. He's incredible. Who would have thought that would happen? Uh, Dustin, a a new character played by Maya or Maya Hall. Robin. Robin, who is the daughter of Uma Thurman and Ethan Hawke and has taken the very best bits of both of their faces and manages to be really beautiful but really ordinary looking at the same time. Mm. And then Erica, the younger sister of Lucas, Lucas, who is an absolute revelation and makes me think, you're right, it's children that are interesting, not teenagers. You can't write America without Erica. It's one of the best lines ever. That plot is very silly but very, very enjoyable. I, I had a conversation with my brother at the weekend about this and he said that the main question that he has about Stranger Things is who is it for? Yep. I can't work out who it's pitched at but all I can say is it's not pitched at me. Part of it involves having a nostalgia for the 1980s which would suggest it's pitched at people our age. Yep. Now, but personally I think if you're going to be nostalgic about any version of America, 1980s America is a horrible thing to be nostalgic about. What it's more nostalgic about is for films of the 1980s. So is it not the culture, like popular culture? Oh yeah, it's so referential. Yeah. Okay, so that brings me to the point that it's promoting a fake view of America. It's about culture. It's about ref- film references. It's about that stuff. So children aren't getting that, and they're the people who should be picking up the message of, hey, popularity is only school long and all of that. So those messages, they're lost on me. I don't know who they're for. I don't know who the nostalgia's for. But this series is set in a mall. Mall culture, clearly, in the 1980s, appeared in all sorts of films, and, and, you know, there are references to other films, like Scattered Around and everything. But mall culture first appeared during Dawn of the Dead. Which they all go and watch. Yes, they do. The point that they're in a mall, other than uh, it would be a relatively good place to hole up from zombies, is that uh, Dawn of the Dead is a critique of capitalism and consumerist culture. And so this references Dawn of the Dead, but at the same time has a long-running promotion for Coca-Cola within it, which makes me feel that ultimately this is really hollow. That's the word I would say about Stranger Things. There's no substance to it. It's cinematic, it's fun, it's all of that, but it's got nothing to say. It's got nothing to say about the 80s and it's got nothing to say about now. It's just a thing that exists. I think you're exactly right and that's the problem when it comes to the plots as well. I feel like the plots have got not holes, it kind of works out and you can follow the thread, but the Russians are here. Why? Well, they're evil. Why? Are they all evil? Yeah, they're all evil. There's just no yeah. questioning of anything. It's just like, well, they're commies. Okay, that's not exactly how everyone felt in 1980s America. There's just no explanation as to why this is still happening. And I think with other young adult stuff, as the kids get older, the content gets more mature. And that's definitely happened here, like it does in, say, like Harry Potter or The Hunger Games, although I haven't seen The Hunger Games But as they get older, the content gets more mature, which it does in the way that their friendships and relationships are formed. But also it's gorier. It's way more gory than the first two seasons, I think. But the Upside Down, which in the first season perhaps represented the confusion of puberty Mm. and stuff changing and your world being turned literally upside down because, you know, it's not all subtle touches here. It doesn't work anymore. No. So I do not regret spending eight hours watching it. But it, it didn't give me anything. Yeah. The problem is, there's only one of this huge group of children, there's only one of them that's hasty in a fight. 
what it needs is something else other than her staring with the Ivanka Trump black eyes and the blood coming out of the nose. That's the well it has to keep going to. It doesn't have anything else. It doesn't mm. have any other stuff in its armoury. Do you think there'll be a season four? Because I felt that well, they've they drawn an the, underline. They have thrown everything up in the air, haven't they? I don't think there should be, personally. No, I don't either. I think they've, they drew a line under the end of season three for various reasons, and I won't do a spoiler. But, yeah, I mean, they, they did also leave a tiny door open, I suppose, if anyone speaks Russian. Yeah. Oh, um, can I ask a question? Because yes. I've never watched Stranger Things because I thought it looked a bit too scary for me. Is it remotely scary? Yeah, yeah. there's aspects of horror in there. Yeah. I'm a yeah, wuss, though, but I, I actually think my wussiness is reducing as I get older because the real world is much scarier now. <laughs> That's why it's not for yeah. children. This is, yeah. this is yeah. the thing that adds the confusion to it. Mm. I'm pretty sure my nephew might enjoy the interaction of between teenagers, mm. but there's no way he uh, we would let and, him watch and this, that. This okay. particular season is definitely gorier there's a lot of exploding rats that are very very graphic and i have to watch through my fingers i am a wuss when animals are getting hurt though but season one i really geared myself up to watch because i knew it had been scary and i i think you'd be all right but i don't know hannah's saying she wouldn't let a 12 year old watch it i think that's probably (laughs) yeah about my level to be honest but if you liked what stranger things was doing before because i have to say this isn't something that's come up in season three for me this has been right from the get-go that i've had this concern about it and so it's just reinforced that if you love it then maybe it will just reinforce that oh yeah i mean it's still colorful and fun and silly and a sort of little bit horror filled famous five adventure almost but yeah, I, I I watched it. I enjoyed it, but I just felt I feel like it's lost its plot a little bit, which is a shame. Okay, we're going to move on to one last thing, which is something that we talked about. God, about eighteen months ago, we talked about this because it was going to be on television, and then it just disappeared off the schedules. Which is that Waco has finally arrived on Alibi. I don't know what that is. I watched it on Sky Go. If you got Sky Go, you'll be able to watch that. I think it's, I think Alibi is the, is it the sort of Sky crime channel, basically? Well, that would fit in about right here. It's an eight-part series uh, about the siege at Waco between the Branch Davidians and the FBI. I had concerns about it because David Koresh is played by Taylor Kitsch. Now, don't get me wrong, love Friday Night Lights and he is like a huge chunk of why Friday Night Lights is great. But he's at his best when he's saying nothing. And David Corrish was not a man who said nothing. So I had some concerns going into this. I don't know that they were particularly well-founded. I did watch one episode and I wasn't that impressed, but I actually stuck with it because it's got a lot of people from Ballpark Empire. Michael Shannon, Shea Wiggum, Paul Sparks. Also, uh, Andrea Riseborough. So I was thinking, you know, it should be all right. The truth is, I don't know about this. It's not terrible. It's not great. It sits somewhere in the middle. So is it done like Wormwood? No, 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 it's, it's, it's done as a drama. But, I mean, the problem is, the siege at Waco is probably one of the most controversial things that happened in America in the 20th century. And therefore, it's a Gordian knot that you're never going to satisfactorily untie without people saying, you know, you've been too kind to the cult or the other way around. And it's... <sighs> People who start sects that are heavily armed and have some sort of doomsday idea probably are responsible for their own demise in a lot of ways but equally the ATF shouldn't go in 
like it's fucking Black Hawk Down <laughs> and create a situation in which 25 children burn to death, which is what happened in this. So, yeah. I mean, it is horrific. Yeah, I regret laughing now. <laughs> <laughs> so... You know, I don't know. I'll leave that with you. Maybe Wake will be for you. Maybe it won't. It's not terrible, is the important thing to say, but it's also not great. Anybody else watched anything else? Yes, I've watched something. Um, so it's, this has been around for ages, but trying to find something to watch for the purposes of this very podcast. And I'm overwhelmed by menus. I can't ever choose anything. So Netflix is like, fuck, I can't do this. <laughs> so I decided to go to Now TV. Previous spo- uh, podcast sponsors, Now TV. And I decided to check out Big Little Lies. Do you know anything about that? I've watched the first season. What did you think about it? I thought the first season was good, yeah. I thought they're, they're all really good actresses. I enjoyed watching them. I always enjoy watching Alexander Skarsgård, mm. even though he's a prime cunt. Very in this. nice, no. But I, I thought it was very, very well done. It's, it's vacuous because their world is vacuous. Yeah, but, but I, it's, I liked it. I don't know. I don't think it is. They are vacuous, but I don't think it is that vacuous in itself. So it's basically about this group of um, women that it's got a fucking amazing cast. It's although to be fair, Nicole Kidman, Reese Witherspoon usually leave me a bit cold if I'm honest but yeah, I I'm think like that with um, Nicole Kidman definitely but um, she's incredible in Big Little Lies and I would, very I would agree good. with you usually but she is very good in it and Reese Witherspoon who usually leaves me quite cold I think is fucking awesome in it like really good Ve- like her comic timing is very good see I would argue that she's always been a cracking comic yeah. actress yeah, Legally Blonde is, is still yeah. very good I don't I don't like it I didn't enjoy it what's the other one Election, Election sorry yeah, yeah. I realise that other people rate her, but I have never particularly had much time for her. But I think she's really, really good in this. I think it's it's really, it's sort of darkly quite funny. It's basically all these like middle class mothers competing with each other over their kids at school, but with a sort of like quite dark twist or a few quite dark twists. Um, the only thing I would say is there is a storyline in which is this a massive, massive spoiler? If it it's is, been I'll around a while. Yeah, I thought you would have watched season two. Well, I've started watching season two, but I had to start from the beginning because obviously... Yeah, only idiots don't start right at the beginning. Exactly and, um, right. But I'm intrigued as to what season... Season two's got Meryl Streep Yes, in it. Meryl Streep. So I started watching season two and Meryl Streep is instantly fucking amazing, as you would expect. And uh, I am really looking forward to continuing to watch it. It is. It's an addictive show. I found. I watched it very quickly. Mm, I didn't yeah. quite binge it in a, the same like hungover state I did Stranger Things. It's not but that I watched long. it very quickly. It's quite short, isn't it? It's like seven episodes. I think the first series was, mm. and I watched that just like basically on Saturday and Sunday night. And uh, yeah, great, good stuff. I used to have a lodger, and she had a boyfriend that I couldn't bear. Just absolutely couldn't bear him, and he was always in my house. And once I was in the lounge doing some work and she was talking about something and she said, oh, you know, who's that that guy from True Blood? What's he called with the the blonde hair? And he basically talked right over her and then he talked about himself solidly for like five whole minutes about like work and this and it was all really boring and really stressful. And at the end, and he said, so... So, and he said, are you not going to say anything? And she went, Alexander Sarsgaard. <laughs> <laughs> Which is exactly how every red-blooded woman or man who fancies men should say his name. I don't actually fancy him. Oh, he's gorgeous. 
get out. Hannah Dunleavy's Outside the Box.